Hello, everyone. Welcome to Just Getting By, episode 52, for Monday, December 5th, 2011. My name is Craig Jones, and I'm joined, as always, by Chemslave. Hello, Chemslave. Yo. What's going on? Uh, it's Monday. Yeah. And I'm, I'm actually slightly happy. Why are you slightly happy? I have no idea. Well, you know, it's always good to be in a good mood. Okay, well, we have something that's sure to keep us in good mood. Oh? That's Politics Monday. Oh. <laughs> Our favorite day of the week. Speak for yourself. Well, this isn't my favorite day. It used to be, but oh my god, it's getting kind of tiresome now. But, uh, you know... Herman Cain always keeps it interesting. Yes, he does. And uh, he kept it interesting for us by announcing that he was going to end his presidential campaign because he got a little a little too aroused a little too often for 13 oh. years. Oh, God. Yeah, so uh, what sparked this was the uh, revelation that he had a 13-year affair with uh, some uh, some woman from uh, from Atlanta. Her name was Ginger White. Awesome. That's, that's just that's just an awesome. That name. sounds like a porn name, doesn't it? It does. Ginger White. I'm sad to say it, but it does. Uh, it really does. Uh, thirteen years. Can you imagine? Thirteen years. That's like a second marriage. This guy was basically practicing bigamy. Well, he wasn't married, so it's not actually bigamy. It's, it's not actually bigamy. He's sleeping, sleeping around with the same person for 13 years. For, for 13 years, yeah. He gave her money. I mean, he, he, he provided financial support to her. He, he evidently provided sexual support to her. I mean, this is a marriage in all but name. Uh... <laughs> it's it's kind of creepy. Like, thirteen years is is an absurdly long period of time to have an affair. Now he denies it, of course. That's important to point out. He has not admitted to it, but it was enough to make him end his campaign. This, on top of all the other allegations of assault, uh, you you really got to think that this guy's got some boundaries issues. Uh, <laughs> well, he didn't end the campaign. He suspended it, Craig. Well, uh, well, well, yeah, okay. Well, I have some comments about that. Uh, that's more of a financial thing than anything else. He can still take federal matching funds for his campaign, which means he can still get money. Uh, and if, for every dollar that he gets into his uh, his um, uh, his his campaign, uh, the federal government has to give him a dollar. So, it. He can still, he has a lot of money because of that brief time about, you know, two weeks. And I'm not being sarcastic. It was about two weeks that he was like at the top of the Republican heap. Uh, because of that time, he got a lot of money uh, for, for somebody of his relative unknown status. He had an, a, a lot, a lot of money. That 999 plan really resonated with a lot of people. And he's disappointed a lot of people by dropping out. Although I, I think he disappointed a lot of people by acting like a pervert. Uh, 
but anyway, so he by suspending his campaign, he can still take federal matching funds. He is still taxed as a uh, as a uh, electoral campaign, which means he's basically not taxed for that those funds, and he can donate that money to whomever he wants. He can, in essence, possibly act like a kingmaker, and he he intends to do that. He's already announced. He announced the same day that he was quote unquote suspending his campaign. He announced he was going to be endorsing a different candidate very soon. Now, some people have pointed out that pre- previous presidential candidates have suspended their campaigns only to uh, reactivate them again. A Democrat by the name of Gary Hart was going for the nomination in 1988. Uh, he, he failed to get it. But he, uh, he suspended his campaign, and six months later, uh, restarted it again, only to have to end his campaign not long after that. So what's to say that um, Herman um, Cain won't do the same thing? Because he has announced he's going to endorse somebody else. That's a, he's, he's a pseudo-politician at the moment. You can't his, take his word for it. Well, that, well that's very true. Until the time that he does endorse, that you're right. Uh, he can change his mind. You're absolutely right. But I... I really do think he's done because I think these allegations are real, at least this last one. Now, I have always said that I thought the previous allegations were kind of kind of fishy, uh, kind of suspicious. Uh, not one of his accusers had a clean background. They're, they were either one of them lived in the same apartment complex as David Axelrod, the Karl Rove of the Obama administration. Well, uh, I didn't I didn't know that one. Yeah. yeah uh, we did mention it on the show, but it was just in passing. We didn't make a big deal about it, so uh, I'm not uh, Yeah, yeah, that that was that was one person. I think that that was the first or the second one to come out uh, accusing him. But then uh, there was one that had declared bankruptcy like three times. She was the most high profile one. She was the kind of milfy uh, one. Um, she had uh, I, I forget her name. I don't really care to know her name. Uh, I, I did not get the impression that she was on the up and up. All the people that came out before this last one uh, had issues. And uh, I don't want to go into it now because it's kind of a moot point. But this last one had cell phone logs, had, had text message logs uh, showing that he texted her at some points at 4 o'clock in the morning. Uh, I mean, this was very, very odd. I mean, hundreds of text messages over the course of a year. I mean, th- this uh, ev- evidently this did come from his private phone too, because a reporter texted the number that showed up, and Herman Cain responded, and oh, con- God. and confirmed that it was his phone. So, can, can you think of a reason, like uh, like Kemslave? I know that if I had a female friend, and I do have uh, several female friends whom I'm not r- romantically linked to, I cannot imagine why I'd be texting them at 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning. Can you? Um, not really. Other than maybe, hey, you might have um, problems getting to work because of accident I just heard on the radio. Well, that's possible. Yeah, you know what? That, that is possible. But he, t- you know, the, those uh, late night texts were far too frequent for that. Um, and he he would text her at all times of the day, 
And this is so, uh, so consistent that 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 excuse isn't really isn't really accurate. But but you are right that that could potentially be uh, one way of weaseling out of one, maybe two. But yeah. But I mean, this guy. I mean, this last one was really devastating. He admitted giving her financial support without his wife knowing. Can you that, imagine? That's shady. Yes, it is. Uh, I I absolutely believe this last one. And because of that, I am starting to think that the inconsistencies and the problems with the previous accusers might just be coincidences. And they might actually have been telling the truth, at least from from a certain point of view. Um, I don't. I still don't trust those people, uh, but I'm no longer as confident in his innocence as I was. But uh, it's a moot point. He suspended his campaign. And he, uh, the only reason why he did that was so that he can still hang on to his funds. He would have to get, he would, he would have to divest himself of all that money, return a lot of it to the taxpayers. And he doesn't want to do that yet. He wants to be able to act as a kingmaker. And um, I'm assuming that he's going to, because I, he has no career left. He, uh, this guy is, he, he's still popular, but he, uh, th- this accusation is just too powerful. He will not be able to overcome this. So uh, in, a, in a few days, actually, I predict by next week, we will know who he's going to endorse if he hasn't endorsed that person already. And I predict, now, we, we, uh, keep this filed in the back of your mind. I predict that he is going to uh, endorse Mitt Romney. Oh, I abs- I absolutely believe that. I'm actually happy. So um <laughs> So yeah, he uh uh Herman Cain said you can uh, do like a a funeral tune for him. He's dead politically. He's he's gone. He's no longer in the picture and suspend sounds like it's a temporary thing. It's not. He's done. He's 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 out. He's out. All right. So, you know, Kemslave, one of the biggest reasons Herman Cain was a household name was because of the 999 plan and also because of his strength in the early primary and caucus states. So we have Iowa that is going to be voting, I believe it's January 3rd, and it's a caucus, which means you have to gather and talk the whole night and there are groups that shift the votes from one person to another. It's it's a very bizarre system. I'd love to see that. Um, I guess it do is. Do they actually televise it, or they do televise it? Uh, I'm sure C-SPAN's going to cover it. To be honest with you, I mean, this is it. Literally takes like four or five hours, and it it, it is not an interesting thing past like five minutes. And it's just it's just not. It, it is truly bizarre, actually. Uh, that is different from a primary, which is uh, literally a vote. I mean, you have um, you you have a secret ballot. You use a vote, voting machines, uh, and all that. But caucuses, you collectively, you know, you you go, you talk, you you haggle, you negotiate. Uh, so Herman Cain was very very strong in Iowa. Iowa before he dropped out was a four way race between himself. Ron Paul, Newt Gingrich, and Mitt Romney. They were all within a point of each other. 
it was a four point spread, each one decreasing by by a point, which really meant it was a it, it was a statistical tie between the four awesome. of them. But with Herman Cain out of the picture now, Newt Gingrich has surged. He got almost all of the support Herman Cain had in Iowa. So oh, Her- God. so Gingrich is now in a very commanding lead. Uh, <laughs> Gingrich is, uh, is in first place. Ron Paul is in a semi-close second place. And uh, Mitt Romney is in a shockingly distant third place. Now, this can change, obviously. And there's a lot of people expecting Newt Gingrich to implode, to make a fool out of himself and to say something stupid and, uh, you know, uh, proverbially, pro- <laughs> proverbially uh, shooting himself in the foot. I'm, I'm slowly seeing this happen. Yeah, why don't you, uh, like, uh, do you, he has done that recently. Uh, do you know what he said recently that's caused some people to raise their eyebrows? Um, well, I have two that I might be, it might be the one you're talking about. One is, um, I think it was for, um, ABC News. He sort of said, I'm going to be the nominee without even saying, oh yeah, I'm going to, that's like a close race or anything. It's like, oh yeah, I'm going to be the nominee. There's like, without any, like, um, like any thought that he could not become the nominee. Big ego. Oh my God. Well, yeah, you're absolutely right. Now, the thing is, however, we have to keep in mind that all these candidates say, like when they're doing a debate, they all, they always say, when I'm president of the United States, uh, what uh, what I'm going to do when I get to Washington. I, I, you know, they, they always pretend that they are going to be the nominee and that they're going to win the general election. It just looks good. It, it, it shows confidence. It, you know, it shows a lot of stuff. So in that sense, Gingrich isn't unusual. But it was the, the way he said that he was going to be the nominee. It wasn't in a debate. It was in an interview, which is different. Uh, typically, you'd be more reserved, saying that I think I'm the best candidate um, and all that. But Gingrich just came out and said, I'm going to be the nominee. And it was, it, it was a strange setting to do that. And yes, his tone, his demeanor, it was, that was an embarrassment, him saying that. I'm going to be the nominee. Oh, God. But then, and this is one I know that you really picked up on, so I'd like you to talk about this a little bit. But he was talking about how he wasn't a lobbyist. Do you want to explain that to the uh, the audience? Oh, yeah. The, this this one takes the cake. This one really just ticked me off. He's like, oh, um, he was speaking, I believe, to Sean Hannity or someone like that. And he was talking about how he was like working for like Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac like um advocating um with um state and federal legislators and oh he wasn't a lobbyist as many people are um accusing him of but being a citizen this is like this is like some type of like Orwellian 1984-esque like new speak where the old speak would be a lobbyist and the new speak being a citizen it's like just, just like just being like just changing the uh, meaning of words just to fit your specific viewpoint on life. So, new speak is double plus good. <laughs> okay. Well, um, you know, I disagree with you on this. 
Uh, you see, this is one of the issues about being an established Washington insider. And even he, he's marketing himself as a Washington insider, saying like he, you know, he has the experience. He, he's, he's run a conservative government before. He basically thought of himself as a prime minister the last time he was in, in office as Speaker of the House, which didn't end well for him. He had to resign because of that. Uh, but but he was a highly successful speaker, so he he uses that experience in his favor in this election. But the thing is, when you have spent as long as he has in Washington D.C., you get a lot of contacts. You make a lot of friends. You do make a lot of enemies as well. But more importantly, you uh, you establish yourself as somebody uh, who's uh, worth seeking out, either for support or advice. Uh, and in that case, every politician of a certain stature instantly becomes, becomes a lobbyist. But then that's not the technical definition. The technical definition of a lobbyist is somebody who's paid by a corporation, uh, or I shouldn't even say a corporation, is paid by an entity to uh, lobby on a full-time or part-time basis on Capitol Hill uh, for a specific cause. Now, Gingrich was paid by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. No, I think it was just Fannie Mae. I think it was just paid by Fannie Mae. And he was paid a couple million bucks to supposedly, quote-unquote, give advice. But he was never a registered lobbyist. He, he never registered as a lobbyist. And he has made the argument that he was just, they asked for his services uh, in giving advice, and he gave them his services. That he never actually went out and lobbied on Capitol Hill, or lobbied the White House, or lobbied anybody, really, on behalf of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. That he just, you know, he acted as an advisor, and they paid him for his services. And then he even went on to say, well, they asked me for my, for my input, and they didn't even follow my they didn't even do what I said. Uh, so in that case, I think, I think he has a point, because being a citizen means that you should be able to speak your mind. And the thing was, he was paid to speak his mind, so that raises some eyebrows. And I, I'm not necessarily saying it shouldn't. He still has not, for me at least, adequately explained why he was paid so so much for his services. And I, I think there is more to that. So don't yeah, listen. I'm not being paid uh, $2 million or more to give my opinion to anyone. Well, when, uh, would you say no to that, though? I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't either. Dude, no. I'd be like, yes in a heartbeat. Yeah, no, I, but you're right. And uh, so, like I said, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. But the thing is, when you get to be that level, an ex-speaker of the House or maybe the, an ex-majority uh, or minority leader um, – and certainly ex-presidents and, and uh, vice-presidents, uh, they are paid very highly to breathe, basically, <laughs> to show up to events, uh, to give short speeches, uh, or to consult. And that was a, and Gingrich is a very well-known, very high-profile, very powerful man, even outside of office. So that, the, the sum of money that he got, which is, we don't know exactly, but it seems to be between a million and two million. Might not be that unusual. Uh, I don't have enough expertise to, to really know that for sure. But I think that he w is more just 
acting like an elder statesman, Washington, D.C. insider. And anybody who's been there for that long, anybody who has that much of influence and power, you know, is going to be in a position where, you know, if he or she says something, they could be paid for it and they can be made to look like a lobbyist. Uh, I find it slightly suspect. I Maybe you're right. I hope you're right. I am, well, what do you I'm, I always keep myself skeptical on these things. Well, as you should. But, but what do you think the worst case scenario is? I don't know if there is an actual worst case scenario. I just find it like if he was talking like to people and sort of saying, hey, maybe you should do this or yeah, you should probably vote for this, hopefully, or stuff like that. Well, or whatever, keep, however, keep in mind, there's no allegation that he lobbied any lawmaker at all. No one is arguing that. I don't know, sort of like giving his expertise. Truthfully, I don't think it's completely that bad but truthfully i also feel like him being paid that much money seems slightly suspect absolutely i would sort of i would sort of think he'd pay, pay, be paid but not that much so there must be something else here i just don't know what it is i i absolutely agree with you but that's not the same as being a lobbyist and that's where i ha take issue with with the characterization because i'll tell you what bill clinton George W. Bush, George H. W. Bush, for that matter, and all of their vice presidents, even their cabinet secretaries, and you know, you you'll have like uh, Dennis Hastert, the last um, that well, uh, two speakers ago, uh, and all these people plus many more uh, have a high enough profile where if they give any sort of advice to a company, they could stand to make a lot of money from it, and. Uh, it's one of the things about being a Washington insider that could be a good thing. Obviously, it's a good thing for the bottom line, but it could be a bad thing in terms of public relations. And uh, I think I really do think that that's ju it's just a public relations issue for Gingrich, for in terms of being a lobbyist or not being a lobbyist. It's, it's it, to me, it's fairly clear that he wasn't. The thing is, though, and I, you and I are in total agreement. It's still suspicious that amount of money. He's not a president, and he listening to him, you would think he talked to somebody at Fannie Mae for like two minutes, and he got <laughs> he got a million bucks for that. So that the, the, he he still needs to answer that more fully. So I do agree with you about that. Okay. So uh, you know what? Before we, uh, I want to move on because you know Gingrich. While I love the man, he is a bit of an egomaniac, and I don't want I, I really don't want him to be the nominee. Hence, I really don't want to spend that much time on him. But I did want to mention, he also said, I helped defeat communism. Oh, no, he's turning into Al Gore. And you know what? Kemslave, you know that the Soviet Union fell in 1991, right? Yes. Uh, well, even and uh, you, you knew it was around that time, at least, at the very, very least. Uh, so many of the, of the Eastern Bloc countries fell in 89, 90, and 91. But the Soviet Union itself crumbled and, and on, it, it officially ended on Christmas Day, 1991, to be very specific. Uh, <laughs> uh, Newt Gingrich wasn't Speaker of the House until January, 1995. Oh, now, nice. <laughs> now, uh, he was a high-ranking Republican in the minority. 
uh, at that time. And he was a key ally of Ronald Reagan and George H.W. Bush in the House. And he did have a, a big role in formulating Republican policy in the House. And he had a lot of accomplishments. He worked with Reagan specifically and Bush and Clinton, actually, when he was speaker. He worked with all of them to do some pretty far-reaching and important things. And in the Reagan-Bush years, many of that had to do with putting the, the screws to the Soviet Union financially and militarily and uh, you know, putting in place a policy that eventually bankrupted the Soviet Union and caused it to collapse. But that being said, I mean, it's a, it's a very bold thing to say I helped end communism or defeat communism. Uh, that, that, that is a little bit too grandiose for my taste. He, he's not Reagan. He's not Margaret Thatcher. He's not John Paul II. Uh, he's not George Bush, 41. Uh, he, he's not any of those people. He had a, a big voice in America, but... To say that he personally helped defeat communism, I think takes a little bit of the credit away from those more prominent people. So I just, you know, his, his ego really is breathtaking, I'm, I must say. He's a politician. They, they're, that's, oh. that's the way they're, they're made. Well, you know, that's true. That, that is true. Speaking of politicians, uh, our favorite Russian politician is back at it again. Oh, boy. What did he do now? Well, uh, Vlad... Vladdy. Vladimir Putin, uh, his party was up for legislative elections today. Okay. Well, yesterday, today, depends on what time zone you were in. Uh, but, you know, about 24 hours ago uh, from when we were talking now, so about two days ago from when you're going to be listening to this, uh, Russia went to the polls to elect their legislature for next year. And Putin's party, United Russia, had a stunning defeat. I couldn't believe it. No one can believe it. It's, it's breathtaking how badly uh, that party lost. In 2007, uh, that was the last time uh, Russia had legislative elections, and his party, which is called United Russia, got 62% of the votes in what is called the State Duma, which is basically the lower house of, um, of Russia. They got less than 48%. The, the votes are not all tabulated yet. But he got less than half of the, of the, of the seats in, in the Duma. He's still going to have a plurality because there's more than two parties in Russia. So the, he's still going to have the most seats. But the thing is, he no longer has a majority. And, the, and uh, this was seen as a test of his personal power because Putin announced he's going to be uh, running for the presidency next March. And it's widely seen that it's just going to be a formality, that uh, there's there's really no nobody who's going to be going up against him. And it's almost, even today, is seen as an inevitability that he will be the next president of Russia again. But still, this was a stunning defeat for him. This was a gauge of how the people thought of him and his party. And they have, in large part, abandoned him. A uh, 48% in a multi-party election would normally be seen as good. But this w is really not a free democracy. And uh, th this was a stunning defeat for Putin. I cannot... Well, if it's not a free democracy, then 
how could he lose? Well, you got to think of the politics of the situation. There are inter international election observers there. And Russia, while it's not a totally free democracy, it is not a totalitarian like dictatorship either. It's like some some gray area. It's it's an authoritarian society of uh, certainly, but it's 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 in a weird transition phase. Uh and to, to to totally fix the the election would be obvious for one thing, and it would destroy Russian credibility in the international scene. And really, when it comes down to it, this is an embarrassment to Putin. But once Putin is back in the presidency, he has nearly unlimited power. So it's largely irrelevant anyway. Uh, the, the this election. It could make some votes difficult for him, uh, but he, his personal authority as president will not be significantly diminished because of these uh, election results. Uh, so from that point of view, I'm sure Putin thought that it would be better to take the bloody nose today and come out stronger for it later on then fix the election and risk international condemnation. That makes sense. All right. So, you know, we have some more annoying stories here. Uh, I'm going to skip over. Uh, we have some stories about the uh, the Penn State issue. You know, that, that Sandusky, the guy who, who uh, raped all those little boys, what yeah. a piece of filth. Well, he's a piece of filth, but he's also retarded. He can't shut up. What he, he gave another interview, and he, he based the first interview that he gave, he, uh, he, he, he was asked if he was attracted to, uh, to children. And oh, he, God. And, and instead of saying, oh, no, no, of course not, he hesitated. And it took him 16 seconds to do this rambling no and he like repeated the question, "Am I attracted to little children? Am I attracted?" Well, and then he said, "Well, no, I, I enjoy little children." And he did. It was the it was a freaky, disturbing, just a, a disgusting uh, response. But he he really he he took it to a whole new level. And you you ask that question to anyone else, it would be like no instantly, pretty much. Absolutely, it would be like a fuck no. What the hell are you asking me that for? No, that's disgusting. But but him, am I, am I attracted? I, no, I enjoy, I enjoy kids. I enjoy yeah. Oh my god. But he is gave, he taking like in things from the uh, Michael Jackson playbook? He he makes Michael Jackson look normal in terms of his sexual preferences. I mean, uh, Jackson, I, I, it's debatable whether or not he actually did anything, but Sandusky puts him to shame in terms of being creepy. Uh, Jackson did not have a good TV interview with Martin Bashir in like 2003. Very damaging. But this is like, he, he might as well just say, hey, I'm a pedophile. Because this second interview, he, he just 
he was he just was terrible. <laughs> he he almost said that he 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 was a molester, and his his lawyer had to jump in and and say, oh no, he didn't mean it that way, and it was <laughs> oh my god, he it was. It's breathtaking how stupid this man is. He's got to be insane. He's got to be insane. I'm sort of freaked out that people, they, no one noticed that he was so mentally retarded like before. Well, you know, I don't really know enough about football, and specifically Penn State football, to comment on it too much. But you've got to wonder what was going through Penn State's head. Um, well, collective head. Ugh. Buzzing. Uh, <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh God, I should you know I should I should really think about. Okay, I'm sorry. Anyway, you ha- you gotta wonder what Penn State was thinking, because they opened themselves up to such liability, not to mention the morality of it. I mean, letting this monster like just exist there with free free run of all the facilities. And even after he was forced into retirement, because of these allegations, he was allowed to use Penn State facilities, and he continued to rape these little boys. I mean, can he... It's horrific. Now, I don't want to get too much into this. But I don't, I'm not even that interested. I was actually going to skip over this entirely. Uh, but it's just... It's so bizarre. I mean, this is a classic example of when not to talk. And his lawyer must hate him. His lawyer must really hate him because he almost sets him up for this. He shouldn't be allowing this guy to give any interviews at all. So, I don't know. Have you been following the British public sector strike? Not really, no. I just, I think I saw this or you saw this. One of us saw this and just clicked it. Yeah, well, I, I think it was me. Uh, it could have been you. I don't, I, no, I think this was me. But oh my, oh my God, these people! I don't want to get too much into this either because I'm, quite frankly, I don't, I, I don't want to have a stroke, because these people, you know, Kemp David, it's difficult for Americans to to conceive of the British public service. The public sector in Britain is, is expansive. It it is the majority of um, of white collar jobs in Britain or in the public sector. And these people are so well paid and have such good benefits that it puts America and most of the other, you know, you know, first world nations to shame. These people have the British economy by the throat and yet they still strike saying that they don't have enough, that they need more. And these people should be ashamed of themselves. It's funny, though, because the um, uh, the strike also affected uh, airlines. Uh, the traffic controllers are, uh, are public servants in Britain, and they, <laughs> they uh, were on strike as well. But it turns out that efficiency in British airports has increased during the strike. Of course. And uh, planes are coming and going more quickly. And uh, there's the, uh, uh, people going through the, the, the airport uh, quicker. And it's not because any security thing has been cut out or anything. It's just the, a lot of the bureaucracy was cut out. 
I mean, it, it's hilarious. I mean, uh, Britain should just try and fire all those people, not bring them back, serve them a lesson. Yeah, but you know the, that that's probably well, some some li some problem lawsuit ready to happen if they were to do that. Absolutely, I, I, that's probably illegal in Britain. Yeah. All right. So just to wrap up the discussion for this week, uh, this week's uh, politics segment, you now we uh, turn our attention to Europe and the end of the euro. Dun oh, dun da. May God have mercy on their souls. <laughs> exactly. These people are so screwed. Now, before we get into the financial segment, and it's not going to be long because I don't know anything about finances. I don't think you do either. Um, nope. But I see you have a story that I didn't see. Uh, there is a question. Uh, is Sarkozy going to be the next politician to fall? Why don't you tell me about that? Um, to tell you the truth, I didn't actually read this story, but um, from what I remember, I didn't read it in depth. But I think from what I remember, he's um up for re-election soon, and um, yeah, he's not gonna be um in um a good place. Well, yeah, he is gonna be up for re-election next. Um, uh, oh God, it's before June. It's either March or May. I think it's with an M. I think it's either March or May. I believe. And he, um, yeah, well, you know, this is related to that Dominique Strauss-Kahn issue, because Strauss-Kahn was uh, a leading member of the Socialist Party in France, which is like the, the main opposition party to Sarkozy's like, conservative party. That's not what they call themselves. I forget what Sarkozy's party is. Uh, but but Strauss-Kahn was polling much higher than uh, Sarkozy. And it was going to be a bloodbath for Sarkozy. And uh, Dominique Strauss-Kahn was going to be the next president of France until this uh, sex assault scandal happened. And uh, he was forced out of the first out of the race before he was even able to enter. So there's been a scramble to try and replace uh, Strauss-Kahn with somebody else who could beat Sarkozy. It, it was my understanding that they haven't been able to find somebody yet. I know Sarkozy's approval ratings are in the shitter, but that's not going to help too much if there's nobody there to challenge him. Um, do you recall reading about anything, uh, anybody who's, who stands a chance of beating him? Well, it seems to be that there is a video um, along with this. This was a really short, just one paragraph. That's probably why I don't remember because I use um, Firefox and I've uninstalled um, Flash because it was causing problems. You know what? Okay, yeah, I see. You know, um, I think this is more a hypothetical about, you know, look at the, the history of these other countries. Maybe Sarkozy's next because he's in the, he's, he's in the weakest position of all the other ones now. Uh, Angela Merkel isn't even as unpopular, and she's pretty unpopular as well. But Sarkozy is in trouble. Uh, it's my understanding, though, that there's still nobody specific who is powerful enough to stand up against him in a one-on-one uh, -on -one general election. It, it, it looks like it looks like Sarkozy could still win. So several more years of Napoleon. <laughs> the little Napoleon. <laughs> the man's a midget. Uh, you know, I, I'm not. I'm not down 
unso cozy like some people are. I, I don't know. I just don't. Uh, I I don't. I don't live in France, so I'm not really qualified to to say. But he never bothered me. Just never bothered me. I know nothing about his um home politics, so I can't say anything because I don't live there. I can't say one way or the or the other if his um policies are good for the people or not. I feel uh, much the same way. All right, so do we have anything else we need to talk about before we end uh, today's show? Um, I don't believe so. I'm pretty good. Uh, so, you know, uh, audience members, if you, uh, if you want to chime in with your own opinions, please don't hesitate to email us. Uh, in fact, we encourage you to email us. Our email address is feedback at justgettingbypodcast.com. I'll say that again. Feedback at justgettingbypodcast.com. Uh, also, uh, go to justgettingbypodcast.com to see uh, blog posts with audio links and news links to everything we discussed on today's show, uh, plus previous episodes. And you'll also find links to subscribe to us on iTunes uh, and your podcast catcher of choice. There's a big RSS button. You just you just click on that, and it'll take you to where you need to go. All right, so, you know, Kem Save was a good show, and we will be returning on Wednesday to talk about uh, civil liberties and miscellaneous stories of the week. So until we then... We will? Yes, we will. So until then, have a good week. You too. You too.